0: Hello, and welcome to the BNP Paribas Markets 360 podcast. We cover the topics that matter from the global economy to market strategy.
1: Hello, I'm Trevor Allen, Head of Sustainability Research at Markets 360 here at BNP Paribas. Today, I'm joined by Sumati semavoy Jane, Sustainability Research Analyst on my team. It's Friday morning here in London on the 18th of August, 2023. In this episode, we wanted to discuss the essential role that insurers have played to prevent second-round effects on the economy and the wider financial system from physical climate risks. Essentially, they have been our shock absorbers. However, given increasing and more chronic insured losses, insurance premiums have been rising and the protection gap is widening, leaving parts of the economy and the world highly exposed. Nonetheless, solutions exist for insurers, high-risk industries, as well as public sector and regulators to all work together. And that's what we would like to focus on today. To set the scene, Sumati, could you explain the reasons behind the rising protection gap we're seeing?
0: Would be happy to. With global warming, the intensity and severity of physical climate risks has increased. This has led to a decline in profitability in the insurance industry through rising payouts and difficulty in predicting and diversifying the risk. And following rational behavior theory, the response of insurers is to raise premiums, change underwriting eligibility, and impose more deductibles or lower the limit. And this can go as far as even exiting from certain high-risk areas. Thereafter, if insurance becomes unaffordable or if the cost-benefit trade-off is not well understood, policyholders could opt out. Thus, the protection gap widens. And uh, as uh, Swiss Re reported, um, they uh, find a 33% increase relative to the 10-year average for the global protection gap. Besides, there's been an increase in less well-modeled but high-impact climate hazards, such as floods and droughts, relative to traditionally decently insured wildfires and earthquakes. And while these events can incur high costs to the economy, the protection gap is particularly high. Just 1% of drought-related economic losses are insured globally. In contrast to 29% for tropical cyclones. One of the severely affected sectors, and yet an underprotected one, is agriculture, actually. But crop insur- insurance is rising as insurers are seizing some opportunities in that area.
1: I think intuitively that makes sense, but could you please walk us through how that is actually working?
0: products better suited to longer-term impact hazards are being rolled out. For example, in contrast to more widespread indemnity-based insurance, so where the payout is linked to actual losses, in parametric insurance, the payout is determined by predefined parameters, such as average rainfall. This helps make the claim processing process a lot more efficient and quick. Besides, for crops with better land or climate monitoring tools and agri-tech uptake, it will be easier to monitor crop health and prevent certain large claims, thus benefiting both sides of the insurance contract and favour a more collaborative approach. It can also be a way to monitor the use of fertilisers and pesticides and embed some incentives to adopt more sustainable practices and provide advice within
1: the insurance policy. Sumati, it's interesting that you mentioned the use of incentives. In an ideal world, we would want to close the protection gap, but also prevent moral hazard. This means that the design of policies could use some innovation and probably some more personalization, and providing the right kind of incentives to policyholders could be the key. What do you think?
0: Absolutely. Interest can embed some discounts, deductibles, and other advantages to reward the implementation of mitigation or adaptation measures by policyholders. For example, in the real estate sector, companies can boost property resilience and gain a competitive edge by one, upgrading and retrofitting existing stock uh, of assets. Two, they could focus on green infrastructure. So green infrastructure can help even absorb excess water and refill groundwater reserves, this preventing damage to buildings and also as a way to respond during times of drought. And um, actually more specific examples within that could be rain gardens, uh, planter boxes and permeable pavements. And three, they can boost energy efficiency and reduce heat uh, in the urban hubs. So far, there's been limited progress in Europe, however, on providing those kind of incentives to policyholders um, to go greener through the design of the contracts. In a February 2023 IOPA study of uh, 31 non-life insurers, about 70% indicated not using deductibles to incentivize policyholders yet. And most are still in the in the testing phase. And indeed, some challenges remain. For example, the lack of guidance on priority mitigation or adaptation measures and their effect- effectiveness as well as returns. Besides, there's a number of legal barriers for changing the, the actual contract designs. And on the policyholder side, there's a lack of um, risk awareness. So i.e., insufficient guidance and, uh, you know, difficulty in running an accurate cost benefit analysis given heavy upfront costs versus uncertain kind of longer-run benefits of those kind of measures. But we do think that these could be resolved uh, through regulation and public sector involvement. And, um, you know, on this, uh, through the asset side of insurance balance sheet, insurers can also have an impact. Um, They can positively tilt investments towards low-carbon assets and best-in-class companies. But so far, just... 2.6% of European insurer investments in equities and corporate bonds are actually taxonomy aligned, though.
1: What are the other solutions you see to help boost the resilience of insurers and really attempt to close the protection gap?
0: More generally, I would say that insurers need to first better understand the risks they face and then look to put in place certain practices to better manage and mitigate such risks. And this applies to both the liability side but also the asset side of insurance balance sheets. And to understand the risk better, uh, insurance could look to enhance risk models and pricing tools by reducing reliance on past data and leveraging emerging real-time climate data as well as embedding better local dynamics. And this holds true on the asset side. Um, in the 2022 Global Insurance uh, Market Report, And they find that more than 30% of insurance investments come from high-risk sectors, such as fossil fuel, energy-intensive companies, agriculture, housing, transport, and utilities. And more specifically, European insurers are heavily exposed to property uh, revaluations, given their 8% exposure to the real estate sector. On the management of the risk part, traditionally, primary insurers cede a portion of their exposure usually the highest tranche of potential losses to reinsurers such as for low frequency but high impact natural catastrophes and reinsurers hold global portfolios allowing them to really diversify the risk and offer attractive rates to more domestic focused primary insurers but on this there's a new asset class arising actually which are called catastrophe bonds which are about now 7% the size of the global reinsurance uh, market And this allows insurers to transfer part of their risk exposure to financial market participants in exchange for coupon payments. And issuing a CAD bond has the advantage of reducing risk for a fixed number of years rather than having to um, renegotiate reinsurance rates every year, especially relevant today as rates on the reinsurance market are rising. And the SPV structure of uh, the CAD bonds also means no counterparty risk that is typically present in reinsurance contracts. The CAT ma- the cat market remains U.S. focused for now, uh, but Japan, France, the Caribbean, and South America are also represented uh, in smaller amounts. And for example, the World Bank actually priced a joint CAT bond of uh, $350 million in a swap transaction in uh, March 2023 to provide uh, Chile, with protection against earthquake at attractive rates.
1: Sumati, so, I'm really glad you mentioned emerging markets. They are definitely on the front line. Would you please walk us through the challenges they are facing today?
0: Sure. Well, the risk to a region does not only depend on the probability of a climate hazard occurring, but also on the amount of assets in exposed areas, the strength and adequacy of the infrastructure in those areas and the share of insurance coverage. And in emerging markets, the high share of informal settlements and the pool building regulations doesn't help. Moreover, emerging countries tend to have a higher share of GDP generated in high risk sectors, such as agriculture and manufacturing, and they hold large amounts of biodiversity, and yet they have a larger protection gap. To give some numbers, S&P, finds that um, South Asia is 10 times more exposed than Europe, with 15% of their 2050 GDP at risk absent uh, adaptation. And the cost will fall on sovereign balance sheets, mostly given the lack of uh, first-round protection, i.e. no uh, insurance there. This is why alternative risk transfer models for ensuring uh, emerging market sovereigns in particular are important. One example is the African Risk Capacity Group, designed to provide parametric weather insurance to multiple African sovereigns, alongside supporting um, the development of those countries' contingency plans by pooling risk at continent level. Supranationals are also playing a big role. The World Bank has been especially active in EM disaster relief through a number of programs. For example, it acted as the reinsurer in the Philippines' parametric insurance pilot in 2017 for total coverage of $613 million. And the pilot's success helped the Philippines government place a CAD bond in 2019. Beyond that, emergency finance needs to be accompanied by adaptation and mitigation finance, we think, especially to scale nature-based solutions. Building mangroves, for example, can shield from hurricanes, tsunamis, and storms thanks to its deep root systems, while acting as a powerful carbon sink, enhancing biodiversity and helping to filter water. A mangrove of 100 meters width can help reduce wave uh, heights by two-thirds, according to the Global Mangrove Alliance. And the the nature-based solutions funding gap is large, But we do think that it could be reversed with more action.
1: Wow. I think we're all really interested now, Sumati. Could you share with us an example of a really innovative blended finance deal that helped to capitalize a nature-based solution?
0: Yes, I do, actually. One example is the government of Belize's 20-year blue bond, which contained a parametric insurance wrapper. It works such that if a hurricane of a certain intensity occurs, or multiple ones in the same season, the next bond payment is serviced by the insurer, Munich Re in that, in that case, instead of Belize, such that uh, the sovereign can focus its resources, so the $180 million unlocked by the bond, on boosting the resilience of the reef protecting its coastline.
1: Cool, this is super interesting. Thank you so much for joining us, Sumati. And thank you for listening. As a reminder, you can find all of our Markets 360 podcasts here, and we look forward to you joining us again next time.
0: This communication does not constitute research, a recommendation, or any form of advice from BNP Paribas or its affiliates. It does not consider your financial circumstances or objectives, and it may not be suitable for you. It should not be copied or reproduced in whole or in part.